Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. And so today, I am so excited to introduce our speaker. Dave Deeth is one who isn't satisfied with trite answers, nor is he satisfied with a status quo, quote-unquote, Christian life. He desires the deep, meaty things of following Jesus and is willing to lean in to learn what abundant life with Jesus really looks like. He listens to Jesus really well. Since he's been elected to the board, which was in February, I have seen such ownership and stepping into the a spiritual authority from him. When he chooses to do something, it is because he has taken the time to understand the why, and he believes in it wholeheartedly and will see it all the way through. So let's give Dave Deeth a round of applause as he comes up. Thank you. Amy, that was, <laughs> it's like, wow, I didn't know that guy was that nice. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really exciting to step into this this morning, and also terrifying, okay? I've, I've led worship for more than 20 years, and so being in front of people isn't completely uncomfortable. I've fallen on my face in front of said people, and learn that tomorrow the sun will still rise. So I'm, I'm happy to be here um, <clears throat> for this highly anticipated message. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I've, I've not preached before, so this is new to me. So if you'll bear with me, you who are here on site, you who are online watching, and if you're watching later on, I'm glad that you're here to take this in because God has some really good stuff for us here. Um, as I was thinking about the people that normally preach here, Greg, for instance, and how he, he navigates us through a message, it's, it, I was thinking, I envisioned this, this nice boat floating along a river like the Peace River on a, a beautiful morning and and he just expertly navigates us through these, these thoughts, highlights the, the opportunities for application in our lives and the, the lessons that we can learn. And tomorrow's, sorry, tomorrow, today, this morning's going to be a little different because it is new to me. So I envision it a bit more like a backcountry river we're going to go whitewater rafting on we're going to experience a bit of faster water, some rapids. You might get wet, and the shock of that cold water might surprise you. But stay with me. We might have to do a little portaging to connect the, the stream of thought. But I, the destination is worth it. Where we're headed is, is beautiful, and I'm really excited for it. So... If I lose my place and uh, completely start to get lost and draw a blank, it's, it's going to be a little more like skydiving with a lot of, ah, and then I'll pull the chute and we'll have a nice landing, okay? <laughs> so I invite you into a, 
a little bit of an, an adventure, and if you're willing to go with me, we're going to just start the way all adventures should start, and that's with prayer. So if you just close your eyes. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit of truth, you alone are holy. You alone are worthy. You are our one desire. To you our hearts are open. Let nothing within us be hidden. God, come and meet us here this morning. Amen. So as I was getting ready this past couple of weeks, I came across a quote by A.W. Tozer. And I don't want to be misleading. I don't sit there and read these deep books by incredible authors. I, I actually don't read very often. I came across this quote while I was just perusing another book. And it grabbed my attention. And it says this. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to mind when we think about God and who he is is the most important thing about us. It defines how we respond to him, whether or not we respond to him at all. It determines how close we're willing to come to him, what we're willing to let go of, and what we're willing to lay down. What we believe about God and who he is ultimately determines whether or not we believe that we can trust him. So I want to talk this morning in a roundabout way about God's goodness. And I want to start by asking this question. Is God really good all the time? Before you ask, answer that, we know, right? We know the answer is that he is good. It's supposed to be the answer, right? We know that God is supposed to be good. Even if you talk to someone who doesn't believe in God at all, they'll say, yes, okay, if this God did exist, he would need to be good, right? He's supposed to be good. But what about what our hearts say? The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10, the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of man. I get to the root of things. You see, our hearts can be tricky. We build beliefs not only on what we're taught or what we study, but a lot of it comes from what our life experiences are whether that's good or bad, we, we can start to interpret Scripture or, or what we think God is like through the lens of our experience. And without realizing it, we weave beliefs into the fabric of our heart that don't line up, actually, with the truth of who He is. So, are you willing to allow your heart to be exposed. Not to him, because he already sees it all. Are you willing to let him reveal your heart to you? 
I was chatting with a friend, a couple of friends, over the, the course of these past weeks as I prepared and just laid out some of my thoughts, and, and I was given this, this thought of insight by one of them, and she said, disappointment can seem relentless, and my awareness of God's goodness can stutter. When it comes to experiencing the reality of life, and, and I just want to pause and, and say that I'm not saying there's no goodness in life here, okay? I'm just focusing, I'm wanting to have a, a bit of a closer look at the hard times because those are the places that we can, we can start to make agreements with lies, not saying it can't happen when things are good, but that's generally where we kind of get off track. So when it comes to the experience in our lives, the reality is that all of us are, are well acquainted with pain. We're all well versed in disappointment. Misplaced trust. Broken dreams. Forsaken hopes, tragedies that bring us to our knees and leave us without words. Before reaction, we collide, entangled in the hurt and the pain of it all. But there, right there, there's a choice before all of us. And that choice is there every time. Whether the wound is fresh or if it's something from years and years and years ago, that's just been exposed because the soil of our hearts has been disturbed. So we have a choice. We can stand by faith on the truth, but let's be honest, sometimes faith is hard. The truth is difficult. But faith and truth are a compass with a true north. Sometimes we're, we're walking through what we feel where we're lost and we're like, this can't be right. This doesn't feel right. But like any orienteer, orienteering training, you're going to be told, trust your equipment. But it's hard. Sometimes when that's what we're feeling is, I don't think this is the right way. I'm going to go this way. We can, we can also choose to join with a lie, right? And lies that are mixed with truth are even easier to slip into. It's easier because we get to navigate by the feels, by our emotions, what we see, what we know. After all, we know that God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere at the same time, right? Right? And we soon, it's pretty easy to start putting what we think is two and two together. I've, I've heard some interesting explanations over, the, over time. People coming to certain conclusions in an effort to justify or understand the pain, the suffering, and the, the disappointment that they feel, that we feel, that God has caused or at least allowed to happen. 
And on the other side of the coin, I've heard people say, God in His goodness cannot allow or cause pain to enter our lives any more than He can lie. This is simply spiritual warfare. We have an enemy that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. But Christ came that we would have life and have it to the full. See, there's truth in both camps. There's also the potential to fall into a lie in both camps. I'm, I'm having this, this hard time because God's punishing me. You've heard that. It's His judgment on us. Or, this doesn't seem right. We're supposed to be walking in victory. Where's this kingdom? This is supposed to look different. And pretty soon we start thinking God owes us something. He owes us an explanation because this doesn't line up. We're supposed to be moving forward with, I didn't sign up for this, right? I signed up because this was supposed to be easier. <laughs> so, it makes me uh, just think of how did the cross look from the other side? From before we knew how it all plays out. There's God's perfect son hanging on the cross, dying in what's God's perfect plan. And you've got some people saying, they beat their chests and they're saying, justice, judgment and punishment has come to the blasphemer. This is good. There's some truth there. Judgment and punishment was serving justice, but it wasn't his sin. It was ours. It was the ones hurling insults at him. That's why he hung there and justice was served. And then there was a group of people saying, hold the phone, this isn't right. This is the Messiah. We're supposed to be moving forward. He came to, to bring victory. To bring freedom. Something's not right here, God. You're, you're getting out of line here with your goodness, right? It doesn't look right. It doesn't add up. And there's some truth there, too. He did come to bring victory and to bring freedom. But not from the Romans, right? It's easy to see from this side, but you can also see how easy it is to be confused in those times as to what's truth and what, what's the lie, right? So, I was thinking of when Jesus was sitting around with his disciples at the Last Supper, and, and he says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Did you hear what Jesus didn't say? <laughs> he didn't say, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I said no. Them are my boys. You don't touch them. We'd like him to say that. We'd like him to say no. Right? The thought that Satan can ask to sift us as wheat, and he can be given permission to do so, can leave us feeling quite vulnerable, right? Hold up, God. This isn't 
this isn't a good idea. We can start to feel kind of not safe. And uh, it made me think of this amazing quote from the books uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, The Chronicles of Narnia. And in the second book, if you've not read that or you don't know what it is, it's this brilliant set of stories written for children, which is great because we are supposed to come to him as children. (laughs) And it's an allegory that illustrates throughout the books, you, you start to see these wonderful things about the character of God. I love it. But in the first book, four children get into this land called Narnia. And in Narnia, the animals all talk, and one of them is a lion named Aslan. And as the children get there, they're, they're supposed to go be taken to Aslan to meet him by these beavers. And uh, when they hear his name, this name of Aslan, Aslan is, is this representative character of Jesus through these allegories. When they hear his name, they're stirred, something within them. They feel courage, excitement, joy, peace fills them. So they ask, who is Aslan? They didn't realize at the time he's a lion. They didn't know. They actually thought he was a man. So the beaver says, Aslan? Why, he's a lion. He's the lion, the great lion. And one of the kids, Susan, she says, oh, I thought he was a man. I should be nervous to have to meet a lion. Is he quite safe? And I love this. The beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? But he's good, I tell you. He's the king. He's good, I tell you. He's the king. In Matthew 8 and in Mark 4 and in Luke 8, there's a, uh, an account that's recorded in the Gospels. Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples. And uh, they start to cross over the Sea of Galilee. And this storm whips up out of nowhere. And they start to become afraid for their lives because waves start actually filling the boat. You can imagine, I mean, four of those disciples were fishermen. They'd been on big water a lot in their lives, and particularly that lake. So if they're afraid for their lives, this is no small storm. (laughs) So they turn to Jesus because they're like, "I I don't know where else to turn. And they look... He's in the back of the boat, and and, I mean, we all know the answer, but if you haven't read this story, it's amazing. He's in the back of the boat, and he's sleeping, right? And they say, start shouting, trying to be heard above the wind, Master, Master, save us. We're about to drown. Don't you care that we're going to die? Have you ever been there? Utter chaos around you? Don't know where it came from. The wind whipped up and you're at a loss. The waves are coming in and you're like, I I don't know if I'm going to get out of this. And you call out to Jesus 
And all you hear is wind. And all you see is waves. I've been there. A lot of us have. In my story, I used to struggle with anxiety. It was debilitating. I'd wake up in the night and fear would clench my chest and my guts for no reason at all. And I'd struggle for sleep throughout the whole night. I'd go to work the next day and the same thing. I'd be out on a job. I drove truck at the time. I'd be loading oil and boom. And I'd struggle to get it together for when I actually came and had to unload and was in contact with people. And I didn't understand it. I'd not heard of mental health before. It wasn't something that was talked about in my circles. So honestly, I thought I was losing my mind. I had no idea what was going on. I was afraid and nothing was wrong. It started to suck the life out of me. It lasted a very long time. And I'd seek relief, and it was rare that it come. And I was calling out to Jesus because I didn't know what else to do. I started to become depressed because I, I just didn't understand it, and it, it was just pulling me down. I got to the point where I started to become afraid that I was going to take my own life. I have this beautiful wife and two wonderful boys, and I'm going, what's going on? I can't even be a dad. I'd come home, and sometimes I'd just say, hey, babe, I need some time. And I'd go, and I'd curl up on the floor in my room and weep. When you're in those times, those places, the last thing you want to do is wait. To wait for an answer or wait for relief. I'm so glad that's what he did. The things he did in me through that time, it lasted about a year and a half. Incredible. I'm not even close to the person I used to be. One of the things he taught me was that I could wait. I could wait on him. Honestly, I didn't want to, but I literally had no other option. (laughs) And there's something there that Jesus wants to show us. As we step back into that story, these, these disciples are saying, Master, Master, don't you care we're going to die, right? So Jesus wakes up, and he stands up, and he just speaks to the wind and waves. He says, silence. Immediately, the wind stops. The waves, I mean, this is the power he has. The waves didn't even kind of slowly settle. No, it says immediately the sea was calm and like glass. His disciples' jaws, bunk, 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 you could hear him just hitting the deck of the boat. (laughs) Who's this that even the wind and waves obey him? And then he says this, why did you have such little faith? The question he's asking there, it it wasn't actually about the miracle of the wind and waves. It really should be no surprise that the wind and waves obey their master and the one who spoke them into existence. What he's trying to say, what he wanted them to see was, hey, when you're in that place and you think you're sinking, 
You think you're going to drown? You don't think you're going to make it through? I'm right there. I'm still right there, and you're still in my hand, and I want you to know something. You can enter my rest. That's what he was displaying in the back of the boat. He's asleep. All hell breaking loose around them is what it felt like, and, and he's asleep. He wants us to know we can enter his rest. We don't have to be shaken. It's not going to be always easy, but we don't have to be shaken right down to where we don't know. We just don't know. He wants to move us into his rest. So, it brings us to this place of what's our response then? How do we begin to move from where we are to where he is? The answer is this. It's worship. You might think, I don't worship. I don't sing. I can't carry a tune in a bucket to save my life. I don't play an instrument. Great. <laughs> because God has made worship this so huge and widely encompassing thing that we can all enter into it. And if you aren't sure what that looks like, the Psalms are a great place to start. See, the first step in moving from where we are to where He is, it begins with inconvenient or sacrificial worship. It's where we, we really don't see it, we don't feel it, but we're willing to step into it. And a great example of this is, is in Psalm 13. David says, this is what he writes, and he's pouring his heart out in this sacrificial worship, in this place, and you can hear where he's at. He says, How long, O Lord? How long will you forget me? How long will you look the other way? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have such sorrow in my heart? Look on me and answer, O oh God, my Father. Bring light to my darkness before my enemy sees me fall and gloats over me. You know that choice we were talking about that we have? David sat there right at that point with the same choice. He recognized what it felt like. It feels like this isn't got anywhere good to go, and it feels like you're not here. It feels like you've turned your face from me, but I know that's not the truth. So I'm going to stand by faith on the truth that I do know. And in verse 5 and 6, this is what he says right after. But I trust in your unfailing love. Still my heart will rejoice. Yes, I sing of your unfailing love because you have been good. And I know you will be good to me. Some of you have been in this place of pouring your heart out for a long time. And I'm really excited about this because I'm going to prophesy over you, okay? I'm going to prophesy Psalm 84, 5, and 6. You've been 
bringing your, your act of worship. You've been waiting on him. You've been pouring your heart out. You've been shedding the tears. It says this, What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have their hearts set on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You know what that is? That's an act of worship. So what joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have their hearts set on an act of worship, whose hearts, sorry, are set on an act of worship. When they walk through the valley of tears, it will become a place of refreshing springs. And I speak that word over you today. That the dry ground is going to start seeing springs well up. There's water coming. The shift is changing. Even now, the water is coming up and lush growth will start to appear. Fruit will again be bared in that valley of tears. And you will go and walk through others' valleys of tears and you will bring springs of refreshment. And autumn rains will fall and bring pools to the parched ground. There's a shift there. We move from inconvenient and sacrificial worship, and he wants to move us into expectant worship. As we begin to taste and see that he's good, as we begin to behold him and see who he is, who he really is in worship, he moves us into this place of expectant worship where we expect to encounter his goodness. We don't know what it will look like, but we believe that he is good, I tell you. He's the king. Paul and Silas, they're in jail, right? This is in the book of Acts, and they don't know what tomorrow holds. They for sure didn't know what that evening held. So they started to pray and sing hymns, it says. What it doesn't say is that their singing was so beautifully angelic that everyone was converted. No, it just says they prayed and they sang hymns. What was moved was the heart of God because the ground began to move and the prison was shaken so violently that the cell doors all flew wide open. And then the jailer, the guards, and all prisoners who were present came and said, what must we do to believe in this God? The goodness of God came. They didn't know how. They just expectantly said, here we are and we're going to worship you. Boom. Our God loves us so much. He doesn't want us to just stay in this place of expectant worship or, or sacrificial worship. Where he really wants to move us as we start to begin to know who he is is into extravagant worship. Where we're so captivated by who he is that we're just not shaken by what's around us. We know who our God is. That's where he wants to take us. And a couple of my favorite places of examples in Scripture of this extravagant worship, King David is in the cave at Adullam. This was a hard story for me to find, actually, because it's not in his life. It's actually in the stories about his mighty men in 2 Samuel. And uh, 
the Philistines have taken Bethlehem and they've got the line drawn where they've got their troops, right? Different stations. And David's in this cave and he can see Bethlehem and he says, man, I just long for a drink from the the well at the gate. What he desired was victory. He desired that to, to be back home. So these three of these mighty men, they, they're like, you know what? We got this guy. We're, we've got his back, and we want to show him. So they, they, they sneak past enemy lines. They fill a pitcher full of this water from the well at the gate of Bethlehem, and they sneak back through, and they present it to David. I can only imagine how proud they would have been. It's like, dude, well, look what we did for you. This is pretty amazing, actually. But David... He takes it then and he pours it out on the ground. He says, who am I to drink this? And he pours it out as an offering to God. This extravagant worship. The other place that really grabs my heart is when Jesus is eating at Simon the Pharisee's house and and in through the door walks this woman who is known for being immoral. She was probably a prostitute. And unabashedly, she walks into the Pharisee's home because she knows who Jesus is. She's experienced mercy. She knows what the Pharisee thinks of her, but she doesn't care. She boldly walks in, and she gets down, and she starts to weep onto the feet of Jesus. And with her hair and tears, she washes his feet. And she had a jar of expensive perfume that she either saved up for and bought or she was paid with. She took this and she poured it on his feet. It would have been everything she had. She just poured everything she had and all of who she was out on the feet of Jesus because she had encountered him. I'm going to invite Brian up if you'd come. And if the rest of you, if you'd close your eyes. I want to just take you through a bit of a picture. Because as I was preparing, I envisioned myself standing up here and speaking to you. And I looked to my left, and about six feet away, Jesus was standing up here with me. And he was staring out at you, utterly captivated by who you are. And he said, tell them I love them. And without breaking his gaze, just absolutely locked on to who you are, he said, tell them, I adore them. And then he turned and he looked at me and he said, tell them, I want to show them my glory and my goodness. He looked at me and he said, but you have to come close. And it wasn't just me that had to come close. He's saying that to each of us, but you have to come close. And then he came and he stood before me. And I want you to just envision Jesus doing this right now with you, because this wasn't just for me. This was for each of you. He put his right hand on the back of my neck and he leaned in and he touched his forehead to mine. In Matthew 11, this is what Jesus says. I want you to just hear what he speaks to you as he's got his forehead 
touching yours? Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of my grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ, and then make him known.